This is the voice of a Rohingya refugee who's stranded in a boat somewhere in the Andaman Sea. He's not alone. There are around 160 people on board, including men and women. We are dying here. We have not eaten anything for 8 to 10 days. We are starving. Three people have already died in the boat, he says. He's crying and desperately pleading for help. Far away in Malaysia, another Rohingya refugee, Noor Sadak, is starting a new life far away from the horrors of the refugee camp. He's glad that he took the risk and fled Bangladesh. There were two options going on in my, in my head. One is die uh, by somebody here or, you know, take the risk. If you take the risk, you may gonna win. And if you decide to leave here, you may have to go to the graveyard. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Headlines with The National News. My name is Anjana Shankar and I'm your host today. Just a word of warning. This week's episode contains some disturbing stories. We are going to talk about the Rohingya refugees who are fleeing the overcrowded refugee camps in Bangladesh's Cox's Bazar. It's a heartbreaking story of a stateless people risking dangerous journeys across the Bay of Bengal to find a better life. Their plight came to the spotlight recently after several boats loaded with refugees were adrift in the sea and countries like India, Thailand and Malaysia refused to respond to calls for help by the UN and other advocacy groups. Who are the Rohingya refugees and why are they in Bangladesh in the first place? Rohingya is an ethnic Muslim minority that has suffered decades of sectarian violence in the Buddhist-majority Myanmar. In 2017, about 750,000 Rohingya fled Myanmar to Bangladesh to escape persecution at the hands of the Myanmar military. Currently, nearly 1.2 million Rohingya live in teeming refugee camps with no access to education or means of livelihood. These refugees are stuck between the proverbial devil and the deep sea. The repatriation process that will allow them to go back home has been in limbo for years. Despair and hopelessness on one side, rising crimes and violence by criminal gangs in the camp on the other. Many feel pushed to take a risky boat journey to reach safer countries like Malaysia, Indonesia or Thailand. I spoke to Noor Kaida, a young mother who was stranded in the sea for weeks before her boat was rescued by fishermen in Indonesia last December. I come from Bangladesh by boat Indonesia. Uh, I have 27 days in the sea. Uh, I afraid in the water. Uh, in the sea, I, I afraid so my child so afraid and cry. Recently, there has been a dramatic rise in the sea crossings by Rohingya. More than 3,500 people attempted the deadly sea crossings in 39 boats last year alone, mainly from Myanmar and Bangladesh, according to the UNHCR. Sitting in a temporary shelter in Indonesia's Aceh province, Noor Kaida told me about the difficulties she had at sea. We didn't eat rice uh, every day. We had rice 
uh, after two days, after three days, one time a day. Not many make it to their destination. 350 people died or went missing in the Andaman Sea and Bay of Bengal in 2021 alone. There could be many more cases which go unreported. Noor Kaida says she fled her home for the safety of her children. Bangladesh, there is various kind of bad group. Uh, so one group pick up my son, hijack, hijack my son, Rifat. Uh, the take uh, three lakh from me. Her 10-year-old son, Rifat, was kidnapped and they demanded a ransom of 200,000 Bangladeshi taka, which is almost 2,000 US dollars, which she paid. But the kidnappers kept threatening her for more money. The bad group, uh, they told me every time, give, uh, you must give me money, you must give me money. If you don't give us money, I will, take your two, I will pick up your two sons. Your husband leave Australia. You have so money, you have so gold. They told me. Crimes are on the rise in the camps, teeming with jobless men. Police have recorded crimes like murder, rape, kidnapping, extortion, human trafficking and drug dealing, among others. Noor Kaida told me she was scared to death. She was convinced her children wouldn't have a future in the camp. I, uh, more education, my child. So I come to Indonesia to improve my child life. I spoke to a Rohingya refugee who was kidnapped and tortured by gangsters in the camp. 21-year-old Noor Sadak shared his ordeal with me over a Zoom call from Malaysia. It was at the end of October in 2021. So they have a place, they have places like a small hut inside forest, inside bushes beside the camp or beside behind camp. So in the camp I was living, uh, our camp was close, you know, nearby with a big mountain. They took me to that mountain where they have a place to sleep. Even while it is raining, they have built houses inside the forest, rolling like, you know, a small government inside the forest. And so it's like the, that forest is theirs, their place to hunt people. What I was hearing from them is they have taken a lot more people before me to that place and, you know, find money and forced to do so many bad things. And they have tortured too many people in, the, in that place. I was tortured and I was kept in a, you know, in, it was a very cold time. I was kept at a small canal with, uh, in the water. How many days were you kept in the forest? I was kept uh, three days uh, with them. And in three days, I was tortured very badly. And I was forced to do so many bad things. Like, you know, they forced me to wear their uh, uniform and hold a gun and say, I have to, they forced me to say, that I have joined their group and I'm inviting to every youth to come to come forward and join them to start doing better things from the people. They've forced me to say these things because they know that once they come out, it might be a problem for them. So they said, if you if you ever talk about against us, we might release this video so that your life be affected by any government you're in. Noor Sadak says he believed his kidnappers belonged to the members of the Arakan Rohingya Salvation Army, a Myanmar-based insurgent group who claimed to be fighting for the liberation of the Rohingya. But they are believed to be behind many crimes. I did not expect this from the 
from the people I belong to. They themselves introduce themselves as a Rohingya fighting against the government of Myanmar. But when it comes to reality, they only hunt you know, uh, the people, their own people. With rising desperation to escape from these camps, human traffickers are exploiting the situation. They promise to take people safely to countries like Malaysia, Thailand and Indonesia where they can start a new life. Noor said he paid 5,000 US dollars to a dalal, which means a trafficking agent, to reach Malaysia via Myanmar. You know, these traffickers, while they persuade people from camp to, to come with them, they are very nice. They are like, you know, very good people. But when they can take you from Bangladesh to Myanmar, then they become like your very worst people. Like, they don't even act like they are human. They act like uh, animals with, with other victims who are, you know, trying to find a place, a safe place, like me. Noor's journey took 17 days and it wasn't easy. Noor, can you look back and tell me, what all did you go through to finally make it to Malaysia? In the way I was, I, I saw the women, they were harassed by the traffickers. Even when I was in Thailand, uh, I saw the women who were with me were you know, sexually harassed and may, might be even raped because they t- took the women who, uh, from our room and took them to another room. And while the women, the woman uh, who was coming back, I saw her face, she was felt, she, she looked very sad. And I, at that time, I felt that there is something wrong with them. But, you know, even though if you see these types of things, you can say nothing while you are under them, uh, on the way uh, with, with traffickers. Because once you say, you will, you, get to, you, you will die or they will kill you or they will torture you on the way. There are so many reports about the violence and torture that Rohingya men and women are subjected to by the traffickers. But it doesn't stop people from taking this risk. On those days, there, were, there was time uh, we couldn't get foods, water, of course, medicine. But, you know, uh, I went through all these things. I had to, I didn't regret because I, I wanted to score, but I regret of not being able to help other victims. Noor claims there is an international syndicate of traffickers. During his journey, he saw border police turning a blind eye when they were moving him out of Bangladesh and Myanmar. This trafficking from camp to Malaysia is not an easy job and it is impossible without the cooperation of the government, both Myanmar, Thailand and uh, Bangladesh. He was moved from one house to another and handed over to a chain of traffickers during the journey. He was blindfolded, kept in secret shelters. But unlike many, he made it to his destination. He's now living in Malaysia, where he's going to college and pursuing an undergrad in computer science. I asked him what his hopes are for his future and for those he left behind. I really feel that our people have a very bad future. And I feel, I can't help, but I'm just worried that there will be a time that the Rohingya name from the world will be, uh, you know, erased. The, the, the world will, will forget the people of Rohingya and these people will suffer and the crimes will grow. During the 2017 exodus of Rohingya into Bangladesh, I visited the camps in Cox's Bazar. I will never forget the children I spoke to 
who witnessed the murder of their parents or the stories of young girls abused by soldiers. Hopes of international intervention have faded, but somehow Rohingyas that I spoke to still say they dream of returning home. I spoke to Mohammad Mizanur Rahman, the Refugee Relief and Repatriation Commissioner in Bangladesh, and asked him about why the process is not moving forward at all. The repatriation process has not happened the way we expected. When the Rohingya influx started in 2017, we thought that it would happen within one or two years. But still people are here. This is the sixth year of the influx. Myanmar and Bangladesh have signed repatriation agreements for the safe return of Rohingya. But not a single Rohingya has gone back since the exodus. We have submitted all the documents to Myanmar. We are ready to repatriate. But the political situation, the other situation on the other side of the border is not congenial for the repatriation. So basically we are looking at a bleak situation. Nobody knows when this will happen or whether it will happen at all. There is no ray of hope at the end of the tunnel. People are getting frustrated. They are homeless. They have become stateless people and they are now desperate to go anywhere they wish. Advocacy groups are urging the international community to help the people of Rohingya in the name of humanity. I asked Nesa Luin, founder of Free Rohingya Coalition, what their demands are for the Rohingya, even as the political impasse continues over the repatriation demand. As a community, for us, the most important is the education. We are not asking to uh, integrate into their society. We are not demanding that. The children will, should, must have the full access to the education with the uh, Myanmar curriculum. So one day, if they can go back to Myanmar, they can continue their education. So that the Bangladesh government should arrange for that as well. Bangladesh is not a signatory to the UN Convention of Refugees that protect their rights. Local and international NGOs are active in the camp to offer humanitarian support for the refugees. But other than that, there's no long-term plan for their rehabilitation. So another thing is to recognize them as the refugee and give them the refugee right until they can go back. We, we, are, we are assured that you know, we will never live in Bangladesh permanently. Uh, this is ju- just temporary still. We love our homeland. We want to get back our all our right in Myanmar. Of course, you know, we appreciate whatever they are doing for the humanitarian assistance. But these are not enough, you know. These people, they have the life. The children, they need to, uh, they need to have the full access to their education. It's like they are, they are killing the Rohingya generation. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines and I've been your host, Anjana Shankar. Thanks this week to all our guests. This episode was produced by Doa Farid, Ada Edison and Enas Rafai. If you want more episodes from Beyond the Headlines, make sure to hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast app.